So welcome to another moment in time with, uh, this time was going to be with Brad Hawk, uh, Olympic swimmer and Olympic coach, and a dear friend of mine that uh, uh, he, I, I had the privilege to work for him for two years. And we're gonna, just going to chat and see where this takes us. Um, Brad, you there? Yes, yeah, Serge. How you doing, man? I'm living the dream, they say, huh? Uh, yeah, beautiful how, morning to be alive. Yeah, yeah. How, how are you? I'm good, man. I'm just in uh, Auburn, Alabama, right now, and uh, it's a beautiful morning. Sun is out, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting out, get some fresh air today. You know, is it is it going to be cold like us? Like, or is it still going to be nice for you, for you guys? Yeah, I think for whatever reason, it's been it's been chilly the last few days. So uh, you know, a bit of a cold snap coming in, but it's okay. Hey. The main thing around here in the south, as you know, and in, in the spring is the pollen. The pollen gets really bad. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm just I'm glad that it's gone now and, and we're coming into the summer. And hopefully the, you know, the sun will come out soon and we'll be good to go. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, the, the cars used to be all like yellowish and it was awful. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Awesome. So how's life, man? How's, you know, I know... For the last two years, you've been working with Fitter and Faster, and uh, you've been doing an awesome job with uh, camps and with the, the you know uh, motivating the kids, young yeah. kids, and uh, and also helping out a lot of the professional uh, athletes, you know, to keep their training. So, how, how is that? How's that transition? And how's been your your life been? Yeah, you know, from from my whole life, uh, from the age of uh, when did I when did I turn professional? I left college in 1999 at the age of 23. So basically, from 20 the age of 23 to 42, I was uh, involved in um, elite level swimming. You know, I was a professional athlete. I traveled the world with the Australian swim team for six years and and competed. And then when I when I retired in 2006. I went back to Auburn and, and started coaching college and, and coaching professional athletes. Um, you know, so I did that for another 12 years. So, uh, so just, you know, two years ago, I decided to just take a step back and get back to grassroots of swimming and uh, join fitter and faster swim clinics. And we, we travel the country now and we do clinics for kids under 18, you know, from the age of about uh, eight, eight to 18. Um, I really got back to where it all started for me, you know, as a kid and, and learning how to communicate with kids and teach kids. And uh, that's been super exciting for me. I've, I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's been a great change. I, I mean, I, I, you know me, Sergio, I love high-performance swimming and I'm still involved in it. I can't ever leave it. But, uh, you know, the elite swimming. But, um, but the, in terms of getting back to the kids, it's been very, very rewarding, you know. Yeah. Well, I bet. I bet had to be a big change. I know, I know, working with you, and I know you really wanted to uh, get out of being a head coach and yeah. and do something different for yourself. Yeah. And and I, I, you know, I admire that. I think I think it's it's great that um, you know when you feel that it's time to do something else that you do it. You know, and and you know, I see. Um, I want to believe because what I see that you've grown those clinics and camps a huge uh, number you know and yeah, you, yeah. you've done an amazing job i know a lot of my not a lot uh, a very good number of the, the postgrads professional athletes that i have here at pinnacle racing uh, have taken advantage of your clinics and you know it's a good way for them to give back to the community and and also to support themselves you know so yeah yeah so yeah so one of my um you know, one of my goals was to really uh, get a lot more just really good swimmers, but people that don't know them necessarily, you know, like they're, they're high-level athletes. I wanted to get them involved in clinics because they have great stories. And a lot of the kids that you coach, you know, uh, at Pinnacle Racing, you know, you, you have some amazing athletes, but maybe they're not household names. You know, they're not – they're not um, – you know, everybody's not going to be able to swim with Caleb Dressel, you know, or uh, so. So I wanted people to be able to connect with people, real life people that have been very successful. They've gone and got college educations and 
um, and they've done done it that way. And so we've really reached out to a lot of you know people, a lot of kids, a lot of swimmers um, to give back to the clinics, and and they've been on the road, and it's it's a way to support them and make them some money, but also give back to the swimming community. And and since I came on board, you know, uh, almost two years ago now, uh, our clinics have doubled. You know, we went from about a hundred. 120 clinics to now, you know, we're doing, um, you know, over over 300 clinics a year. So, uh, you know, we're, we're doing a lot around the community, you know. That's awesome. So I think so. I think, I think everybody, many times people just focus on the top athletes because that's what the media portrays all the time. But, mm. but everybody has a great story. You know, everybody has a, a family situation. Everybody has a... A, a, a college situation, a club situation, they, everybody can learn, you know, or at least, you know, uh, identify with them. You know? Yeah, and, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and, you know, it's allowed me to work from home. Um, you know, one, one of the things, as you know, that we struggle with at, at Auburn and, and I'm sure you struggle with at Virginia Tech is, uh, is time, you know, because uh, it's so time-consuming to be a head coach. I don't, I don't envy the position you're in now. I know how dedicated you are to the job. I know how much you give to the job. Um, it's the same as what you did at Auburn with me when we worked together. But it's, it's very, very time-consuming. And I think the glamour of uh, wanting to be a head coach in college is, is there for all coaches, you know. But when you actually get into it, it's very tedious work and it's very challenging and it's very, very hard work. And that's why I have so much respect for you and what you do. But at the end of the day, um, I did that for such a long time that I never got to take my kids to school in the morning. I never got to wake up and make them breakfast. I never, I, I didn't have a lot of weekends with my kids. You know, I was always on the phone recruiting when they were playing soccer or something. So uh, I really needed to spend more time with my family too. And this uh, this job working from home now has allowed me to, uh, you know, spend a lot more time with my kids the last few years, and it's been incredible. You know. Oh, I think so. I think uh, you know, I I I was into get out of coaching and uh, get into the business of swim school. And when you had the job open, um, mm-hmm. something that I asked you that I, I was going to work as hard as I could, but mm-hmm. I needed to spend time with my 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 children. You know, my my daughter was going to be a senior in high school, and I wanted to spend time with her and then with my yeah. son. And you allowed me to do that, and that was that was awesome. You know. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, oh, I, I feel that sometimes we, in jobs like that, like ours, well, it, I guess in every job, but mm. in jobs where you deal with kids or with people, you end up working for everybody else's kids instead yeah. of working for your own kids. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The only thing that you do for your own kids is sometimes is just work, bring the money home. But with everybody else's kids, you know about their problems, their family problems. You try to help them. You try to you know, as as dysfunctional as we can be, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You show, you you tell your kids you love them, but then you spend all your time with other people's kids. And so they they don't, they they hear it, but they don't feel it, you know? And so I think there's a a point in any coach's life where, you know, we always talk about balance and I'm not sure what balance really means, you know, but um, what, what your kids want is quality time. And I think sometimes I was coming home I was exhausted, you know, I was mentally, physically exhausted from a workout or from a day where I've had to deal with a lot of problems. And then I wasn't able to give that quality time to my kids. And, um, and now it, it's different. And, I, and I, see, I see how different it can be. And, and I'm not sure what I would have done differently as a, as a college coach. Uh, I'm sure there are things I, I could have done differently. But now I'm in this position, at least it's given me a chance to really identify some of those things again and connect with my kids on a deeper level, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I believe that our, uh, children are very resilient and they, they will always give us the benefit of the doubt, you know? And if they see that, that we've made honest effort to change and to connect with them, I think that's what they want, you know? Uh, they don't expect anything else. And like you said, they, they want quality time. I, I always felt that... Sometimes I would get stressed out. Uh, when I got home, I would be stressed out. And then my wife would ask me about, oh, how are the problems with this person, with this person, and with this person? Sometimes at home, we talk more about yeah. uh, everybody else's 
problems than mm-hmm. our kids' problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Because you know, you want to connect with your with your wife too. You don't want you don't want her saying, "Well, what did you do all day?" And, and you're like, "Oh, nothing. Nothing happened. Don't worry about it." You know, so that that's tough too. So then you you find yourself talking about the problems that you just faced all day and. Or, or ignoring the problems and, and ignoring your wife in that sense. So it's definitely a balance, and I think that's the, that's the challenge for coaches. You know, uh, I think as coaches we need to understand that, look, our family is important too. Our wives um, want, to, want to connect with us. And then even though you may have faced 100 problems all day, you, you know, your wife has faced uh, 100 problems all day too. So you have to come back and listen to her problems too. So that's – it's something that uh, is definitely a balance and it's a, it's a challenge that you have to face as coaches. And uh, I think it's also something that we need to talk about more often too because a lot of the times we don't talk about it, you know? Yeah. No, absolutely. I think. And, and yeah. But, but you know, I'm excited. And um, so I'm, I'm very excited for you. I think uh, for me, you know, I, 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 when I went to work for you, I thought that I was going to be an assistant for a long time. Yeah. And last year was interesting to become a head coach again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm very thankful that I'm a head coach. And I think uh, I've been able to balance a little bit better. Uh, granted, also, too, that my kids now are in college. <laughs> so, but, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's exciting. Now, uh, do you miss coaching um, uh, uh, high-level swimmers. You know, I've been I've been lucky. Um, right as I uh, right as I left uh, and started working with uh, fitter and faster, working with kids. Um, you know, uh, David Marsh actually reached out to me and said, "Listen, they're starting a an international swim league, and Lenny Kraselberg is uh, going to be our GM, and I'm the head coach, <clears throat> and I want you to be an assistant coach with me and and Jack." Jack Roach. And uh, I was like, wow, so what does that mean? He's like, it just just means you come to the meet, you help me coach, and we have a few beers, and we watch some fast swimming. So I was like, okay, I, I can do that, you know. Um, perfect job. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect job. So, so, yeah, so I did that last year for the first year with the ISL, and so it kept me engaged in high-level competition. You know, I was able to listen to David's uh, meetings. I was able to uh, talk to some athletes uh, during the competition and help them through things and um, even do a little bit of recruiting, you know, for the team, which was great. So I, I, I knew all that. I, I also had relationships with a lot of these athletes because I'd seen them um, compete in college, you know. One of, the, uh, one of the team captains for us was Ryan Murphy, who, who you coached, and I recruited at the time that you were coaching him. So... You know, I had these relationships and, and it was nice to be able to um, rekindle those relationships on, on the ISL team. So in, in terms of everyday coaching, I don't miss waking up at 5 a.m. No, I, I, don't miss, <laughs> I don't miss that at all. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, in terms of the coaching, I don't think I could ever leave high performance. I, I need to be associated with it somehow. And the ISL has helped me to be able to stay connected to that, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, I think... Um, uh, Farida, that was in your team, mm-hmm. and Farida Osman, and um, I think she really enjoyed it. And the, uh, you know, when I spoke with Ryan or other athletes that they've been in the ISL, they really enjoy it. I think it's a great, it's a great um, thought process, and it's going to help a lot of uh, swimming at, at all levels. You know, people talk about professional swimmers, and I have seventeen of those quote unquote professional swimmers, but maybe two of them are supported by sponsors or by their country, the rest, they have to work and they're not professional whatsoever, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. So it's, sure. uh, ha- having competitions like this where they can make some money and they can be excited about uh, why they are postponing going to medical school or uh, being a lawyer or doing something like that, I think it's, it's, very, it's very healthy and it's very good. Yeah, I think there was a lot of positives to come out of it, and it's just kind of it's exciting that it's going to continue in, in you know obviously now in a different format through you know everybody being in um, you know a confinement, everybody everybody being stuck at home. So obviously things have changed, and the way that the season is going to go from season two, I think, is going to be different. Um, but in, in terms of saying that the the competition was was great you know the the money was great for them the 
traveling with your peers and getting to see different things and, and swimming live on television and swimming in like a dual meet format where it takes about two hours to get through the competition. I mean, there's so many exciting things with it. Um, but there are also some challenges, and I think that's where the athletes had, had to be a little bit more flexible and, and just understand that it's not perfect. You know, they're all, they're all competitors, you know, at the highest level. So they want to they contribute everything. But you know what it's like, Sergio, when you're picking a team, you know, you've got to pick a certain relay. Well, somebody might think, well, I should be on that relay. And, yeah. uh, you know, why can't I swim? And so, you know, when you talk about an athlete like Farida, who's one of the best athletes in the world, to tell her that she has to sit on the bench during a, a relay, you know, it's, it's a really hard thing to do, you know. So there were still, still some challenges that came with it, but most of, you know, 95% of it was um, very exciting and, and very fun, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter at the level if they're 10 years old or they're 25 years old. Those feelings, they never change. They're so, such competitors that mm. they, they know more with realizing things like that, that yeah. they've been part of the a lot of these kids have been part of NCA championship relays or they compete for their countries at the highest level in relays and, and they want to be part of that. That's, that's yeah. what makes them eat, you know? Yeah. Well, it was tough too, where you're only allowed two swimmers per event. So let's say it was a hundred butterfly. You know, we had, we had four or five girls that could swim a really great hundred butterfly. And so then as coaches, we're left in charge to pick who we think should, would be the best two people. And, and in season, you know what that's like. Everybody swims a little different in season. So sure. mm -hmm. Farida, Farida might be tired one day and, and working hard with you and your program and someone else might be fresh. So it was, it was difficult to understand where everybody was at in the season. And then, and then, you know, you didn't want to pick favorites. You had to pick kind of on paper. So it was like, well, this person on paper is faster than you, so we have to put them in today. So – there was a little bit of guesswork as well, <clears throat> and I think that was the challenge with it to say, well, who's who's the best person to put in each event on this particular day, and and sometimes you know with the egos of the athletes, that that was hard for them, you know. Sure, yeah. oh, like you can you can see even that in practice, you know. If one day you give a little bit more attention to another one, mm -hmm. and the the other one feels a little bit sad. Uh, they're going to be like, well, you don't care for, about me anymore. And they don't oh, mean yeah. that. But I mean, it's like it just everything comes out. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. such competitive people. Uh, yeah, 100%. Uh, so uh, next year is going to be interesting, you know, with well, this next season with the ISL and all this, just all this coronavirus stuff. And so uh, you guys have changed the format or, 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 of the meet yeah. or... <clears throat> Yeah, you know, honestly, they've come out and said a few things. <clears throat> I'm on the coaching staff, but I'm not, I'm not on the inner circle. So, um, you know, I get my inf information through Lenny, and Lenny gets his inf information through uh, the leaders of the ISL. So it kind of filters down a little bit. And so by the time I get the information, I have to pass on some of that information to the swimmers, and then it gets filtered down again. So... I never really know what is true until we're actually doing it. Until I until <laughs> I get an, you know until I get an email to say this is exactly what's happening. But obviously, there's a lot of um, change right now with the quarantine. We don't know where how many people can gather in certain places. We don't know if people can fly from international. So there's going to be so many questions moving forward that I can't even tell you whether the season is going to go ahead right now. But I know that the plan is to have kind of like a five-week um, training camp where all the teams get together for five weeks. And I think right now they're talking about Orlando, let's say. So let's say that the training training trip is going to be in Orlando for five weeks. All the teams come down there. They train. They live in a hotel. And then over the five weeks, they're meant to compete four times against uh, each other. So it's like a round robin. They, they, they just move wow. around and they, they compete against each other for uh, five weeks, you know. So – that's kind of the plan right now, but you know, with international restrictions and travel, I, I really can't see how that's going to work. You know. Sure. Well, it's exciting. Hey, at least, at least they're going to keep going, and hopefully, ten years on the road, we have a great league that yeah. you know the people can take advantage. The kids get excited, and yeah. it seemed like a lot of kids, a lot of people, really got excited. You know? Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. Yeah. No. Or every athlete you talk to, it doesn't matter. 
uh, you know, who they are. They're all interested. You know, there's, yeah. there's very, very few athletes in the world who have said no to wanting to compete in a format like that because, um, you know, it's just so exciting. And, and honestly, when I was walking around the pool deck uh, at the meets, you know, it, it didn't matter what meet it was, but especially the final in Vegas when we, when we made the final, the top four teams, when you walk around that pool deck, it's, uh, it's all the best athletes in the world. It's like, oh, there's, a, there's Olympic champion Adam Peaty and there's world champion and there's world record holder and there's uh, NCAA champion. And, there, you know, like it was everybody was good. There was, there was no bad swimmers. And so pretty incredible to go to a meet like that. You know, because sometimes you go to the world championships or you go to the Olympic Games and there are athletes there that, you know, probably shouldn't be there, but they're, they're part of the world community and it's okay. They're competing. But, you know, in a, in a meet like the ISL, every athlete was brilliant. They were really – they were the best at what they do and uh, sure. it was pretty incredible to watch. That's awesome. That's, yeah, I'm, I'm, it's exciting. I, I know when I, I heard about it, I thought that um, that would be a great idea. So I'm, I'm happy that it happened and it's happy yeah. swimmers. And, you know, it, it's changing a, a little bit of, of the mindset. And I know a couple of the recruits that I was talking to couple of the times they went to watch some of the meets and I said, yeah, yeah, to, this weekend I cannot talk because I'm going to be at the ISL meet. So uh, that was exciting uh, for, for yeah. the kids, you know, yeah. to be able yeah. to go and, and see all those athletes. You know, yeah. I, I think we, we all need motivation and when we're young, you know, we know that um, we always had like somebody that we looked up to and, you know, help us out, you know, to be become good. You know? So, yeah. So something that I just thought about, uh, uh, how, how do you think the way you were as a swimmer, and w were you the same as a coach or were you different or how was it being a, a elite swimmer, an Olympic finalist, and now being a, a coach? Did, did you work with the same thought process or, or you know? Um, you know, it's a very good question. It's something that I've thought about, Sergio, a lot, you know, and uh, try to reflect on. And, and I think back to when I was a professional athlete, because honestly, um, I, I, I survived um, my, I survived by being good at one thing, and that was the 50 freestyle, you know, and, and I didn't want to get a normal job. I didn't, I knew if I wasn't good at the 50 freestyle, I would have to be, I'd be working at, uh, you know, Pizza Hut or something, you know, <laughs> and I didn't want that. You know, I'm like, I, I want, I want to travel the world. I want to be good at something. I want to be recognized for something. I want to be, uh, I want to be hard to beat so that I can continue to do what I love, you know? So I was very selfish. I was very self-centered uh, and, and for good reason, honestly, you know, you have to be as a, uh, as a professional athlete, because um, you can't you, you can't be just giving 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 when uh, there are times where you've got to eat the right foods, you know you've got to you got to be sleeping to recover, you got to be doing the certain training that you need specifically, um, and so I got very specific with my performance, and it became very selfish and it became very self centered, and there were times where I um, I didn't care about the team as much. You know, but as a coach, it's almost the opposite. You know, you care about everybody. You care about everybody's performance and and you're not focused on one particular person. You're trying to help everybody and you feel every swim, all the good swims and all the bad swims. As I was, When I was a professional athlete, I didn't care if, if my teammates swam bad. As long as I swam well, that's all I cared about. So, <laughs> you know, it's just a, it's a very different mentality and it took me a little while to um, – to get rid of that mentality, you know, it's, it's tough, you know, so I, I had to shift completely. And so sure. when I look back on, when I look back on that mentality, I think, Oh God, I, I, I don't like that person, you know, cause I'm not that type of person. I'm a very caring person. I, I care about people and I want them to succeed. And, and I look back on those six years when I swam for Australia and I was very selfish. And um, so I don't like that aspect of, of that, but I understood that it was necessary for me to have it in order to be successful. You know what I'm saying with that? Oh, absolutely. I think, uh, I think, uh, uh, I, I, I've always said that the top athletes and to be there, you have to be selfish, you know, yeah. and, mm -hmm. and it's all about me, 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 you know, and, mm -hmm. uh, I remember, uh, 
I, I didn't feel that I was a selfish like that because uh, I don't know why, but I, and I think uh, even though I, I was successful, uh, I don't think I won <clears throat> at the highest level because I always care for other people, you know. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. But uh, but I, I know when when I retire, <laughs> and then because you know I was with Sandy with my wife, even though we were not married, we were living together for a few years, mm -hmm. and when I retire. Instead of being because she was following me around, uh, not I don't want to say that in a bad way, but you know, if I because being a professional athlete, if I live in Spain, if I live in Budapest, if I live here, if I live there, so she was moving around with me, and and it was all about me, 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 me. And then yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I stopped being a professional athlete, I became the second person when I got married. And it was about her and then me, and that was very hard yeah. internally. And then what hardly came along. Well, before Harley, Sandy wanted to have a, uh, a puppy to to learn how to take care of a kid. So it sounds it sounds idiotic, but it was it was it was great, you know. And so then it's Sandy, the puppy, and then me. And then yeah. Harley comes along, and it's like mm -hmm. Sandy. Well, Harley, Sandy, the puppy, and then me. So at yeah. one point, you you become the fourth or fifth person in your life. <laughs> oh yeah, no, and, absolutely. And that's a very hard thing. Uh, I think for, you know, people talk about mental health and uh, I think nobody teaches a high-level athlete how to understand that there's something more than, than you around the world, you know, and that, mm -hmm. and then when you just go, and more in a sport like swimming, when you go from being so good and part of something like a family uh, with your NCA team or with your uh, mm -hmm. country's team, and then you get a job and you go into an office and you're nobody. That's a very hard thing to swallow. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you're right, man. We've, and, we've, and we've had many conversations about this, you and I, you know, like we both agree on this. And, <clears throat> you know, one of the things for me personally that is, that is, um, I didn't start because of the quarantine. It started around the same time as the quarantine, but I, I started a uh, podcast as well. You know, I wanted to, um, talk to, to add, I wanted to talk to people just like you're doing right now. And, and you and I are very similar in that. We love talking to people. We love, uh, we're interested, we're inquisitive. We, we like to ask questions. We like to listen. We like to talk, you know, so, so I started this podcast and, um, I started to talk to some of my friends and some of the athletes that I'm dealing with, some of the coaches and almost every single person, Sergio talks about mental health you know, and the struggle that they've had with it. Every single person that I talk to. And uh, it's incredible that now we're starting to talk about it more and um, starting to understand it more. But every athlete faces it, you know, because like you said, you, you're you a very selfish, self-centered person. And then all of a sudden <clears throat> the lights go off and you have to go back into society. And what do you do? You know, how do you deal with that? You're not the superstar anymore. You're just a normal person. And yeah, maybe you have to start from the bottom of, of a company or whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, I don't think we're – well, in the past, we haven't been preparing people for life after swimming either and and even just dealing with um, being a, a professional athlete. I think swimmers have a lot to learn in, in that area still, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think I think swimmers – and I, think, I always thought when I was an athlete, as I told that to my federation, they needed to create a – a department where they would mm -hmm. teach people how to understand uh, who they were, you know, because uh, it, it happens at all levels, no? And we talk about the Olympians and the world championships, but it happens to any kid in any household, uh, even with the school or with it. Once you become good at something or you lose ownership of who you are, you know, and, and uh, at the high level, the federations, your scholarship, your coaches, your parents, your friends, they take they take ownership of your life. And it's very hard for the athletes to to really understand that I do this for myself. 99% uh, of my swimming is for me. And 1% I can share it with my families and maybe with my coach, but it's mine. And, uh, and yeah. if I perform well, it's me. And if I perform bad, it's me. You know, mm -hmm. uh, you have to be yeah. thankful to your parents and to people that help you, but yeah. that doesn't mean that they own that swimming. You know, yeah, yeah, uh, and that's a very hard thing to 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 teach. You know, because once once you become insecure or afraid 
and nobody's helping you every day and you're alone, it just keeps building up. Just yeah. Keeps building yeah. Up. <clears throat> yeah. And look, honestly, <clears throat> when you deal with a lot of uh, high level athletes, sometimes people will form opinions, you know, and, uh, and, and I understand why those athletes are protective of, of their image and things like that as well. And, but you know, like, I think it's not, it's public knowledge that, you know, a guy like Michael Phelps probably doesn't have a huge amount of friends, you know, and he probably at the time wasn't the easiest person to get along with because <clears throat> he is so focused on his performances, you know, and, and that can come across sometimes as like, oh, that person's this or that person's that. And, you know, I don't like that. I don't like this. But <clears throat> part of the mentality that you have to have in, in order to be that successful is, um, you know, you have to you're not going to get along with everybody you know and not everybody not every not everybody's going to love you you know and but you know so there's a give and take to be that good at something but um but i think ultimately what happens then is that you know michael as you've seen michael's gone through his own mental health issues and um you know i just did an interview with grant hackett and grant hackett's gone through some things like that too so eventually that mentality ends up hurting them, you know, in the long run. So there's this, and, and you see a guy like, uh, you know, Tiger Woods, same thing, you know, he's gone through these life, these life difficulties, you know, and um, so to, when you get those athletes that are that good, it's, it's amazing to celebrate them, but you've also got to understand that they're going to face some real challenges when, when life um, hits them from a different angle, you know. Well, I think I think the problem the problem that we have is that people don't understand that perfection is life is imperfection. You know, and mm -hmm. they put all these athletes in a pedestal. They don't understand that they're as dysfunctional as you and me. You know, mm -hmm. and yeah. they have a lot of issues. Uh, this it's like you know when they talk about athletes not drinking and not partying and not doing this. I think I don't. I'm not an advocate of that, and you know more when I'm a coach. But I used to own a nightclub. And yeah. uh, I had 4,000 people three times a week in the nightclub, and most of them were professional athletes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so people have a life, and and sometimes a normal thing that somebody else does comes to public knowledge, and that athlete has lost everything, you know. Yeah. And, and, and nobody's there to support that athlete at that moment when it was a simple thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, a mistake that hopefully was honest and that person can change because that's how we learn in life, you know, and, and people don't take the time to give the benefit of the doubt to people, you know, they yeah. just, uh, yeah, we're very harsh, like trying to, you know, I know, <laughs> I know with my team here uh, and you know that I was so tired of, of dealing with people. And so when I work with you, was a good break for me because I didn't have to make the tough decisions. That was all you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but you know, when I came to Virginia Tech and, you know, I told the kids that I would treat them the same way that I treat my kids, my children, and that when I make one mistake, I will change it. And But I wanted them to be honest with me. And, you know, if they make a mistake and uh, they get caught drinking or something happened, and they've told me right away, my job is to help them out. It's not to judge them and to be like, well, da, 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 you're off the team or, you know, you're such a bad person, you know, because uh, we're, we're educators, you know, we're not their parents, but they're still 17, 18, 19, 20 years old. <clears throat> yeah. And, and you know, you, you and me at 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, we did some very interesting things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. yeah, I know, and that and that's the hard part about college coaching too. Is like you know these kids come away for the first time for, away from their parents, and um, you know they're gonna they're gonna make mistakes, and we and we did those, we did certain things, we made mistakes when we were younger too, and we have the uh, benefit of uh, experience on our side. So it's like, oh well, I wouldn't do that again, but you know they they don't have that benefit of experience yet, so sometimes they. They make mistakes. They do things that you scratch your head. You're like, why would you do that? But then you think back and like, well, I, in that situation, I may have done the same thing and I wouldn't have learned unless I made that mistake. So it is it is a tough balance, you know, like you want them to be responsible. And, um, but at the same time, they need an outlet too. Like what what is their outlet? Uh, because they're being watched all the time now, you know, on social media and things like this. They, they can't put a foot wrong. So... 
you know, there's a balance between finding the right way to have an outlet and release that pressure, release that tension, yeah. and be able and be able to make mistakes, and but also not do anything that is going to bring uh, the team and the image of the university and, and things like that, you know, sponsors or whatever it is. You don't want to bring the image of those uh, those organizations down either. So there's there's definitely a balance between allowing mistakes and and growth, and then also just um, you know reprimanding them for doing really dumb sure. things. You know. Now, now, do you think um, having children changed the way you coach? Yeah. See, I was lucky because um, I had my first daughter uh, very young. You know, I was 23 years old. My my wife was. Uh, 22 at the time and so you know we we had kids young so you know my my whole professional career as a swimmer from the age of uh you know 23 to 31 when I swam professionally I, I had a child you know so part of my part of my drive and um yeah you know just me being successful was the fact that I had a kid as well because I had to now provide for that child you know I had to I had to be a great example for that child. So um, in terms of the selfishness that I felt, um, I was selfish because I needed to perform and I needed to provide, you know, and that was part of it. But I wasn't selfish in the fact that um, I wasn't there as a, as a father for my, my child, you know. So my daughter Kira, is, is, she's uh, 21 now and she's a woman and she's in college and she's out of the house and she makes her own money. She works for a law firm so I feel like I did my job good you know but but in terms of uh, having kids I, I always had a kid there and and uh, you know now I've got four kids I've got a son Kobe 17 and I've got twin girls Lily and Yasmin who are 11 and um, so they helped me they gave me perspective and so I think that made me a better coach initially straight away because I could I I could identify with the athletes uh, on, a, on a level of um, you know, being a professional athlete, I could identify with them straight away as soon as I started coaching. And then also I had my own kids to raise so I could understand the mistakes that they were making too and, um, and give them forgiveness for that. So I think initially it helped, it helped me become a very good coach very quickly because I was able to uh, identify with the kids on different levels, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, I, I feel also has helped me having kids, having children, helped me understand better how to how to coach is because you know uh you you're there every day trying to raise a, a person you know yeah um so yeah. Uh, i think it changes and i always tell the young coaches that you know uh, it, it will change if you want to have children it will change the the mm. way you coach you know? oh for sure yeah for sure no no doubt about it you know i'm i i never regret having kids young you know i'm so thankful i'm I'm almost 45. I'm 45 in a couple of weeks, Sergio. I'm getting old, but um, you know, <laughs> but I but I'm glad, that. you know. But my kids are older, you know, so I'm I'm thankful that I went through that, you know, young and 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 uh, was able to share my life with them, you know, and and now they're they're getting older now, and I'm you know I'm at the stage of my life where I can you know, do things for myself again and not have to, um, it's not all about my kids anymore. It's certainly, I've still got, I've still got 11 year old twins. So there's a lot of work still, but, um, you know, I've gone through that period of raising children and, and it's, uh, I'm glad I did that at a young age, you know? Yeah. And what about that your son and my son have the same name? Huh? Yeah. Kobe. Yeah. Kobe. Yeah. Kobe. <laughs> you know, my, uh, my son was going to be called, um, Sebastian, all the way up until the day before he was born, and uh, <laughs> and, and and my my wife and I at the time um, went out the night before the 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 birth, and we we're having dinner, and we were like, I just don't feel Sebastian anymore. Like we were calling him Sebastian for months, and they're like, I don't feel it, I don't feel it. So we're like, uh, what about Kobe? And uh, it just made so much more sense to us. So we we named him Kobe, and then yeah, then. Then we find out, you know, you and I are working together and, and uh, we have the same son, same name for the sons. Uh, pretty cool. Yeah, yeah my, my story is a little bit different because I named, well, I named uh, Sandy, was in, my wife was into uh, choose the name if he was a girl, you know, uh -huh. and uh -huh. she couldn't come out with a name and I had a Harley Davidson back home. So I said, let's call her, let's, I couldn't bring it from Barcelona. So I uh, ship it over. So I said, let's call 
our first kid, Harley. Then mm-hmm. she agreed after a, a, a little bit of interesting discussion. <laughs> and, and then, <laughs> not that I was going to call, but for, for many months, I kept telling my wife, well, you know, I like the model fat boy. So for our, our, our son, we need to call him fat boy. <laughs> <laughs> so we can always introduce our children Harley and Fatboy. <laughs> Ta- oh, I love Ta- it. Talk about mental health. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, I think it's great. I, I thought it was kind of neat. Yeah, what say? You know, my son Kobe, just like Kobe or whatever. I don't remember how our conversation when we found out our, our children's name. It's it's kind of funny, dude. Um, yeah. Because Kobe is not a, well, m- maybe it's a common name, but uh, I came out of it. I come out with the name because it was the mascot of the '92 Olympics in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, it was it was not a very you know I did Kobe Bryant basketball player, but yeah. I didn't know that many Kobe people. Well, my daughter Kira is named after a very famous beach in Australia, a very beautiful beach. It's called Kira Beach. Uh, it's in Queensland. It's on the Gold Coast, and it's uh, it's a, just a gorgeous beach. And so, um, her her name is after that Kira Beach. Um, That's awesome. Then, yeah. So then we wanted to name our kids after beautiful places, and so I had been to uh, Kobe, Japan. Uh, it's a city in Japan, Kobe, and. Um, and, and it was just uh, – they had the most beautiful uh, cherry blossom trees. And it was just uh, – I, I just love the city so much. So um, we decided to name Kobe after the city in Japan. Um, but it just so happened that at the time there was a, a basketballer named Kobe Bryant who was um, young and coming up and doing amazing things. And so, you know, it, it was uh, it was just around the same time. So he has the same spelling as Kobe Bryant. Uh, but it's na- he's named after the city in Japan. That's awesome. I didn't know that. I didn't know that it was named. In- no. uh-huh. That's awesome. Yeah. So, well, good. You, you know, uh, I'm, I'm happy that Kira and everybody's doing well. I see I see Kobe is, uh, you know, I see some of the videos that you post, and he's they've grown so much. Yeah, you know, like, kids, kids grow fast. And he's, yeah. he's almost as tall as me now. He's uh, like six six foot one. Uh-huh. But um, he's always been very athletic. But I used to, you know, at Auburn, you know, we we had to go to the football games every Saturday, and so I had free tickets. So every Saturday, I'd say, "Hey, Kobe, come to the football with me." No, I hate football. I, I, I was like, <laughs> "Okay, come to the basketball with me." No, I hate basketball. Come to the swimming with me. I hate swimming. So he was always very athletic, but he he was never into athletics. He never watched it. He never wanted to watch it. He never he didn't care less. Um, he was always musical, you know, at the age of five, he, he wanted to play the violin. I said, no, you, you don't want to play a violin. I'm not, <laughs> I'm, I'm not buying a violin. It's three or $400. You know, it's a waste of money. No, no, I want a violin. So he played the violin for four years. And then mm-hmm. after that, he said, I want a guitar. I said, oh, you can't go from a violin to a guitar. You don't want a guitar. Yeah. Yeah. So I gave him, I, I bought him a guitar and, um, he still plays guitar to this day. He he, he taught himself online uh, on YouTube how to play the electric guitar. So uh, he's that's incredible. awesome. Yeah, so he's very very musical, um, and he he's uh, he ma- he makes his own music now, and he's just different. Um, I don't think like him, uh, but you know he's very sensitive, and and so you know you appreciate your kids for the different things that they uh, believe in and things that they love, and you support them. I said, look. I don't care if you swim or if you play music, whatever you do, just be good at it because everything's competitive. And if you want to stand out and and um, earn your own money and, and not have to work for somebody for the rest of your life, then just be really good at whatever you do. So if, if it's music, be the best musician you can be, you know, uh, work hard at it, study it, you know, um, experiment with it, uh, you know, all those sorts of things. So I really encouraged him throughout his life to to be the best musician and right now he makes his own music and uh, and i love it you know that's awesome now are, are the twins uh, a little bit more calm than they used to be because <laughs> no. those two were like <laughs> yeah it's incredible Great kids, that, man. yeah you would think that one has more dominant personality now they they're both uh, <laughs> very strong personalities and uh you know they're, they're good they're good kids one is the quiet one but probably the 
to, you know, the one that doesn't throw the stone, but is the one that's telling the other one to throw it. <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. One's more mischievous, you know, she'll whisper in her ear, Hey, do this, do that. You know? and, uh, and then she'll get in trouble and, and then she'll cry. And the other one will laugh, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, awesome. uh, twins are, twins are very unique. It's a, it's, we don't have twins in the family. And uh, it was the, you know, it was the first for uh, both sides of the family twins. And so we were like, that's impossible. We can't, we can't have twins. And they said, no, well, it has to start somewhere. It starts with you. So, yeah, it's a, it's a weird phenomenon. You know, we, we put them in separate beds throughout their whole life. Even to this day, I'll go upstairs. They'll, they'll start in separate beds. And then by the time I come out five minutes later, they're, they're sleeping together. You know? So it's, it's always very strange. Um, even now, I still uh, pinch myself. It's incredible, you know. That's, that's awesome. Them. So, yeah. I know, I know my mom always told me that uh, your children are coming to this world to teach you about yourself. And, yeah. and I can tell you that I, I don't know how you feel, but I, I know for sure yeah. Harley and Kobe have come to this world to really teach me about who I am because they, it's very challenging, you know, uh, raising kids and seeing things that you saw in yourself when you were a, a kid and, and now the challenge is how you're going to help them not to get in, make the same mistakes or fall into the same things, you know? Yeah. Um, but, but yeah. yeah. I, I'm, I'm happy that I've gone through that. Too. So, yeah. So, and kids are, kids are incredible, man. And I'm so thankful that I'm a father and I, I did learn so much uh, about life being a father. I think there's not, there's nothing like it, you know? And so <laughs> I'm very, very thankful for that. Yeah. So how are your parents back in, in Australia? Because Australia has, hasn't been in lockdown that much. They're a little bit here, a little bit there. But... Well, what they did was they locked the country down. They didn't let anybody in. And, um, and they just they, they, they did segregate. Like my parents are older, obviously. They're over, they're over 70. So my parents really just locked themselves down and didn't really get out much. Um, you know, so Australia did the smart thing of kind of locking the country down. And, and at the time that it hit, it was summertime for them. So it didn't really spread as much as it may have, uh, you know, like like in New York, it, it came in winter, you know. So I think it spread fast in New York because of the winter season. So I, th I think the seasons do play a part in the spread a little bit. And I think that's probably a good thing for America because we're coming into the summer season. It might it might um, calm down a little bit. But uh, in Australia, certainly, yeah, it was very hot at the time. And, and so they contained the, the virus pretty well. Um, and, and now I think they're starting to open things up again. Um, but I think it's very similar to America. I think they kind of took the same approach to America. Um, you know, things were certainly, they, they had their struggles. One of the things that I did hear that they did in Australia that was very cool was, um, you know, if you were renting a facility, you didn't have to pay rent. You know, so a business, let's say a, a restaurant, uh, if they if they had to close down for two months, then they didn't have to pay rent on the oh. on the on the facility. You know, so I, I think some decisions like that were really good. You know, I think the thing that we're struggling with in America is, you know, we still have to pay mortgages and house payments. I mean, car payments and you know, you know, all that sort of stuff. So. The, the the challenge is the banks the banks are still making all the money and everybody's struggling you know so sure. uh, I don't think the stimulus packages really help people that much so but it, I mean obviously any money is good money but but yeah I think I think it's going to be a, a challenge that we face for a long time but my parents were, were are good you know they they isolated themselves and they stayed very healthy and active um, and you know they're they're doing well so yeah, that's thanks awesome for, thanks yeah. for, I know. Uh, my mom lives in Jacksonville with my brother, and I think she's always she always spends a lot of time at home anyway. So, uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting times, man. I never thought that will be. You know, I've been at home for eight weeks. I think eight oh, weeks. Yeah. Oh yeah. And I think I I got out one day to go to a doc to go to a doctor uh, for my ankle. But if not, then honestly. I'm very happy with the home. <laughs> yeah. It's not like, it's like, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, I realized, you know, I've always said that I wanted to retire early. And these people think when you say things like this is because you're tired of the sport 
or or this or that. I'm not tired of anything, but I, mm. I really felt that I wanted to because our life has been so fast all the time. Mm. Mm-hmm. As an athlete, as a professional athlete, now as a coach, working, not having weekends. You know, I remember when I was at Bulls, I had what two weeks vacation in seven and a half years yeah. with my family. So I always wanted to retire early, and uh, now I realize that yes, I can do that. You know, I can quit my job and be at home and try to do something every once in a while and have the freedom of now that our kids are in college, maybe spend time with my wife. Now I, I cannot retire because financially it doesn't make any sense, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I really love my job. I enjoy my job. And so it's not time for me, but I, I really realized that I could do that. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I always felt like, Oh, I, this is the only thing I can do, you know? And then when I, when I left college, I realized, oh, there's, there's other things that I can do. And, you know, like, like, you know, you and I have started podcasts. And so it's, 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 there's so many things that we can do within the sport to diversify and stay connected. And, um, and you don't have to be on the coach. You don't have to be on the deck coaching 24 seven. Um, you know, I'm having really interesting conversations with people. I'm learning so much. And then that information, you're sharing that information. Yeah. You know, like uh, two days ago, I interviewed Carl Lewis, you know, who's the greatest. Uh, that was awesome. Yeah, greatest greatest Olympian of the 20th century. So, yeah, it was an incredible interview and I learned so much. And then and now I can share that information with everybody else. So it's it's uh, cool the things that you can do through uh learning you know yeah. well i started the podcast because you started it, you know uh, uh i know you many weeks ago you called me to the one and yeah and um i uh something that uh you know i started it because i'm at home and i'm like why not you know and mm-hmm. i can talk with people and just talk about life and then just put it out there you know but i also started almost eight weeks ago this thing that i call virtual coaches stocks you know, mm-hmm. so it's one thing that Doc Councilman, my old coach at Indiana, you always told me the coaching is sharing, and yeah. um, and uh, I, I, every Wednesday I have a talk with Southeast Asia, a talk with Spanish-speaking coaches, and a talk with English-speaking coaches, mm-hmm. and in and out every weekend, I, I, every Wednesday I must have six hundred coaches for from over 40 different countries coming into mm-hmm. the talks and, and, and listening, some sharing. So yeah. that's why I uh, also posted, uh, I created this podcast to to put all the audios of it, all those talks, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, sharing is sharing is information, you know, and when you can listen to a high-level coach talk about their experiences, I mean, that's great information. And, you know, it used to be a situation where you would have to fly overseas you know, give a presentation and then fly back. And I know you've done that many times, um, you know, but now we don't have to do it that way anymore. We can, we can talk and we can upload it straight away and we can share it straight away. And, uh, you know, some of the conversations that I'm having are so high level. You know, I, like I said, I talked to Grant Hackett the other day and, oh my God, the information that came out of that, um, is just so valuable. Uh, you know, his life experiences over his career, um, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, buy that type of information. So it's, it's nice, you know, I'm, I'm hearing the stuff that you're doing and sharing with coaches and you've always been a, a carer and sharer, you know, of information and, and of people. And so, um, I think it's so valuable what you're doing, you know? Yeah, thanks. You know, I learned from the best, huh? <laughs> well, you know, you know, you, you, yeah, I mean, but you are an example to everybody, you know, and so I think that's the thing. Like sometimes coaches don't understand that. They don't get that. We, the, the, best, the best coaches are the ones that bring people in, bring people together, you know, and that's what makes you so great is that you bring people together. And that's, that's what I admire about you the most. It's not how smart you are or how good looking you are because you are a beautiful Thank man. You. you know? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but it's your sharing, you know, it's your heart. That's the thing that people see the most. And it's uh, the amount that you, you like to give back. And uh, I think as coaches, we can all learn from that. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Ben. Um, I think, um, yeah, I, I really enjoy uh, uh, helping people understand. I think, one of the things that I learned when I was a, I wasn't a very good swimmer growing up. So I watched 
all the best swimmers uh, compete at a high level and have many issues. And a lot of them always used to talk to me about their issues. So I used to help them out to try to understand what I thought was going on. So yeah. I really like that. I think. Yeah, and, and you don't have to have all the answers either. I think no. some coaches some coaches get intimidated sometimes. Well, I'm I'm not as experienced as Sergio, or I'm not as smart as Sergio. I don't know as much as him. You you just ask questions and you just uh, and you just share. It's it's like you you don't think about I'm so smart. I know all the answers. You just ask questions and then you say I, I either know that or I don't know that. But let's try and find out. You know so. That, that's what being inquisitive is about is you, you don't have all the answers, but you're asking really important questions to try and pull the answers out, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, uh, for example, in Spain, I, I've seen a, a big shift that I didn't know, you know, like uh, uh, with all these talks, uh, there's like so many young coaches that they're so excited mm. about making a change for their country, you know? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and, and I think one of the important things, like you mentioned, is that People see you as a successful coach and this, and they think that you have the magic pill. Mm-hmm. And there's no magic pill. I think one of the things that I'm trying to make people understand is the, the more you learn when you have a conversation with somebody, and, and it's an honest conversation, and people just tell you things. You know, you can go to a clinic and listen to a top coach that most of the top coaches won't tell you exactly what they do because they're afraid that if they tell you, you're going to be better than them. You know? Yeah, yeah. But, but but in a conversation uh, and just saying something, you know, I've learned from coaches that are coaching little kids, but just the way they talk, the way they yeah. express themselves, you know. Um, yeah. So so it's, yeah, it's exciting. Yeah, I don't like it. You know, people label me as uh, a sprint guru. Sometimes they use the word guru. I'm like, I'm not a guru at all. I just I enjoy sprinting. I love sprinting. I'm trying to discover uh, as much as I can about it. Um, I also, I, I certainly have experience in it, but I'm not a guru. I don't have all the answers, and I don't. I certainly don't think that I'm, I'm better than anybody else at it. I just, uh, I just, I'm passionate about it. Okay, yeah, you could say that. Maybe say Brett Hawk sprint passion, you know, whatever it is. But but don't say guru because I think that that puts me on a pedestal that I don't like to be at, um, and and I, and it just makes me uncomfortable, you know. Yeah. I think I think the the people the thing that people don't understand is that uh, you don't you don't have to be an expert in anything. You just have to believe in what you do, because mm-hmm. that's what you do. You know, like you when you tell your sprinters or your, your swimmers, today we're gonna do this set, and they they believe they see that you believe in that set. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those kids are gonna fly. For sure. and, and the problem is that we don't we don't uh, how you call. We don't share uh, that confidence, you know. And yeah. uh, what you need to do is portray and, and not be cocky. But when you say something, uh, if the kids believe you, that's why sometimes you have a, a swimmer that becomes a world champion and is up from the mountains. And the coach that he has has never been a coach; just coaches in the summer, or coaches. And but they create a great relationship. And out of the blue, the swimmer believes the coach, and the coach believes in the swimmer, and this kid is. It in the world, you know? Well, that's how it was with me, Sergio. You know that. You know, like I, I started coaching in 2006. By 2008, Caesar and I uh, won the gold medal in the 50 freestyle at the Olympics, you know, like two years. Like I, I didn't have experience as a coach. I didn't, I didn't have the 30, 40 years that some of the other coaches on the deck had had. But what I had was just I had a relationship with a kid where he believed in me. I believed in him. I had enough experience to know how to get the job done in terms of, you know, I'd been there myself um, and, and everything just clicked. And so, uh, you know, I agree with you in that it's, it's, if you believe in what you're doing, that can be very, very powerful. And look, I don't believe in what Greg Troy does with, um, you know, Caleb Dressel, but it works for Caleb Dressel because Caleb believes in it, you know? And, And so you can do things differently, but you have to believe in what you're doing you have to agree with what you're doing and then you have to apply what, what you believe in, you know, and, and that's all I did with Caesar and that's all Greg Troy does with uh, Caleb. You know, it's uh, it worked for them and what I did with Caesar worked for me, you know? Yeah. No, it's, it's like that, you know, like I know when a lot of the coaches came, come to my practice and stay there for a few days at balls and, and Singapore, different places. And I give them all the information and they're like, why you give me all this? It's like, well, 
because not because you have the set you're gonna you're gonna be able to be better you know it's how you express things it's how you how the swimmer feels that that you care for him or her and that you, you believe in that set you know and, and the system yeah, yeah. Um, exactly awesome so do you have anything else that you want to share or you know anything that you know I, I'm gonna put this online probably today or tomorrow, mm-hmm. and so people, you know, some something, some advice to the young kids, and maybe some advice to the uh, young coaches. Yeah, I mean, the, there's there's two main things that stick out in my mind when I think back on my career as a as a swimmer, as a coach, and even what I'm trying to do now. Um, you know, there is there's consistency. You know, you have to have consistency. You have to. You have to have that routine where you wake up every day, you go through the motions of what you need to do, and you try and do it better than you did it the day before. I mean, that's just the bottom line. If you want to be good at anything, you know, you have to try and do it better than what you did it the last time. And and that's a daily process. Um, so consistency is uh, is inevitable. You know, it has to ha- it has to be there in order to be successful. Whether you're a young kid now. Uh, or, you know, you've, you've been in this sport like as long as we have. We still have to have consistency. We have to wake up every day and try and be better. And that's, that's what I try and do. Uh, and, and not every day you're going to be successful with that, believe me. You ha- and that's the other part to it. That's the second part is you have to be willing to fail, you know. And, and not a, I don't mean failure in, in the sense that everything crashes and burns completely. You know, you just learn from – you learn from things and, and you grow. And that's, you know, I, I, tell, um, I tell kids this all the time, but I went back after I made the Olympic team in, in, when I was 25 years old at the, age, uh, at the age of 25 in 2000. I made the Sydney Olympics. So it was my home Olympics. I, I went to school about 20 minutes from the Olympic Stadium. Hello. And talk to them. And a lot of the same teachers were there and they said, you know, Brett, how did you make it to the Olympics? We thought this person was going to make it or that person was going to make it. And, and I, cause I wasn't the best in my high school at the time. And I just said, I didn't quit. You know, I didn't quit. I just kept going. I kept pushing. I kept learning. I kept growing and everybody else around me quit. And uh, so that would be my advice is try and be consistent and never quit, you know, and, and that's how you can be successful. Awesome. Look, the people are going yeah. Hey, uh, this one is for you. <laughs> but um, I, I think I think that's great. Uh, yeah. But Brad, th- thank you very much for for doing this and helping me out. Always helping me out and um, always being a good friend. And I'm very happy that uh, you're being very successful with Feeling Faster and and I know you're doing a great job with the kids because uh, I know Shane Ryan and and Marina and uh, mm. Carlos, people that have done uh, clinics with you, they really enjoy it. So yeah. so thanks. keep it up, man. And, and and thanks again, man. Yeah, thank you, buddy. All right, take care, and uh, um, everybody out there, thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye.